0: Miracles, real and imagined, help shape the landscape and character of Kildare. A vast ice sheet melts and scores out the plain of the running horse, the coral. 5,000 acres made by the ice melting 12,000 years ago. Bridget spreads her broth, her mantle and claims a miraculous portion of land on which to build a monastery of equals, women and men together. Later she turns water to beer, brewing a future link between Ireland and the whole world. And that's just for starters. Today many people pass through Kildare on their speedy M7 or M9 journeys south or southeast. Most will not stop to look and listen to some of the wonders of this county. Nor will they see amidst new housing estates and burgeoning towns a small Slow miracle of reclamation, a touch of Bridget on the edge of the M4 motorway.
1: So what you're looking here is, there are whips. A whip is a small tree, basically. It's about two feet tall.
0: Sonia Moore, the chairperson of the Selbridge Heritage and River Catchment Association, is restoring a section of hedgerow that was in danger of disappearing. A vital part of Kildare's nature and a lifeline for countless wild animals. And what tree is it?
1: The majority here would be hawthorn.
0: Now it's being replenished and replanted with a rich selection of native plants.
1: We have Hazel, so that would be the next one. Beautiful Hazel. Then we have Spindle. Beautiful Irish uh, native tree. It's small, it's pink, comes down the autumn. There's sort of four sections to it. Very, very pink. But when you open it, it's orange inside. Ireland has the least amount of tree cover in Europe, apart from Malta. But Malta is a rock, we forgive them. So, hedgerows, when you think about it, it's the capillary of the landscape. You know, it's the heartbeat, it's the soul, it's, it's the pulse of Irish landscape. They're our heartbeat.
0: You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence and partition to get a measure, to get many measures of all 32 counties. We're looking at place, landscape and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series, I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a radio atlas
2: of Ireland.
1: Now, that's
0: the farmer. Now, she... Sonia Moore came to Ireland from Germany in 1989 and she receives funding from the County Council's Climate Innovation Fund to restore a hedgerow in Derrybeg in Selbridge. Sonia, I suppose a lot of people are familiar with the idea of what a hedge is but a hedgerow, I guess, is a, a bigger concept. Could you just remind us of what it is and what it represents?
1: It's a long line of the edge of a forest with a beautiful mixture of trees and bushes and undergrowth as well.
0: And different kinds of trees, different kinds of bushes. Yes. And a a variety of undergrowth.
1: Absolutely. So you have the typical three different stages. You have the low growth, you've got the middle and of course you've got the canopy at the top.
0: So in a way it's a perfect example of biodiversity.
1: Absolutely. It is reckoned that there is probably more biodiversity in a hedgerow in Ireland than there is in forests. Um, it's roughly about 12% of Ireland is under tree cover. 2.5% are indigenous trees. So take about the rest of the 10%. You can divide it by half. So half of it is our commercial forest, which is really biodiversity poor. And the other half, uh, say 5 to 6%, is actually hedgerows. So
3: and hedgerows I, are incredibly I think, important.
0: I think you would say exactly that. That that the hedgerow is hugely important yes. in terms of the environment, biodiversity, and the more hedgerow we can protect, and regrow,
1: the better. Oh, there's far more to that than this. Hedgerows have over sixty different benefits. So, say carbon sequestration. Yes, it's a massive one. It saves the soil, it prevents flooding but it also regulates wind it regulates local temperature All of these things are very important for biodiversity, for people for the the foreign community but also for the local population One of the things I find that people don't talk about is we talk about CO2 and we talk about methane but nobody talks about oxygen Atmosphere can only hold 100% so if something goes up Something else has to go down. So unfortunately, our oxygen is actually going the same way down as CO2 is going up. So if you're feeling tired, you can tell your boss, I'm sorry, but it's oxygen, please.
2: <laughs> Get me to a headroom. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
1: that would be a good one,
2: isn't
0: it? <laughs> so we're kind of looking now at some of the hedgerow in redevelopment tell us a little bit about what we're looking at
1: so the hedge is about 160 metres long it's about 3 metres wide so you have 900 plants in here so hopefully it'll be nice and dense it'll be hopefully about 4 or 5 metres maybe 6 metres tall It'll be ho- colourful, it'll be hopefully rich in wildlife, uh, bird life. We have bats here, we also have badgers here, we had foxes here. Um, didn't realise until recently, badgers eat hedgehogs, so that's my account where we don't have any hedgehogs. I like hedgehogs, <laughs> <laughs> I like badgers, so obviously. Badgers. <laughs> so do badgers. So do
4: badgers.
0: Sonia, would, would you maintain that the development of hedges and hedgerows is as important as the increase in the level of forestry and trees here in Ireland.
1: It depends on the hedge. <laughs> so if it's a native hedge with native whips or trees, bushes and underplanting absolutely. Yes, without a shadow of a doubt. But if you plant a hedge which has a lot of foreign origin hawthorn whips that might come from France or Holland, you will have the problem that they probably bloom to a different type than owls one in Ireland, so it doesn't coincide with owl pollinators, or the nesting season, or the feeding season, mating season, and so on, you know. It takes a minimum of 50 years before hedgerow has back its biodiversity at the lowest level. So hedgerows are, are just, they're our hotbed.
0: In the shadowlands of the Pale, Selbridge has changed almost beyond recognition in the past 40 years. From a quiet town nestled among the ruins of big houses, mills, shifted history, to a sprawl of housing estates, supermarkets and urban life strongly connected to Dublin City. What a lovely trace of the old Selbridge, Town House. But the past is never far away. Eamon Burke and his wife Anne have spent decades restoring Simmonstown House on the outskirts of Selbridge and its rich history reflects that of the county itself. Simmonstown House is a fairly modest two-storey 18th century house with a small walled garden, enough land to grow vegetables and plant occasional wildernesses, many outbuildings including an old byre, and evidence here and there of an older settlement going back to the 1600s. It's like a microcosm of the bigger story of settlement and life here.
5: What this was, was a defensive farmstead, a farmhouse. Up until um, 1780, this cobbled yard here, there's cobble under that here. So when the Celtic tribes, the Gaelic tribes, the O'Toole's and the Burns, who just live. Half day's march up there Came raiding And you saw the, the the beacons blaze You got all your cattle and sheep And drove them in here And all your food And <laughs> tried to <laughs> Save as much as you could Okay, And uh, that was life So it became a fortification It was a, it was a defensive farm set
0: Jonathan Swift, Dean Swift, is closely associated with Selbridge. will have walked close to here with his lover, Esther van Homry, immortalised as the fictional Vanessa in his writing. Swift's ghost is said to be seen here, but then his ghost is said to be seen in many parts of Ireland. But the lover's presence is marked in the physical landscape.
5: Every time the Dean Swift met Vanessa and they consummated their love, they planted a laurel. And there's laurels everywhere around this part of Kildare. <laughs> the <laughs> fertile plains of yeah. Kildare. <laughs> and I think the Dean, with the afforestation, if you could had procreation attached to afforestation in this country, would be on the right track.
0: <laughs> Eamon has one more story for us the history of Ireland in vegetables. This is your polytunnel, this
5: is one it?
0: Of my, this is my polytunnel. This keeps me going. Yeah, that's good. Good long one.
5: Yeah. It's ah, lovely. Oh god, I love polyfonds.
0: You have your peppers.
5: Peppers, yeah. Yeah. Um you chilies. This is one of our favourite vegetables. Ah gee, Yeah. So fine fine carrots. The carrots. huh. So if I was to put out on the table next to you a bowl of oatmeal, a parsnip. A carrot and a potato. I could try and do the history of Ireland in vegetables and cereal. Porridge was the essential food of the Irish. Back to the Celtic time, uh, they had great herds of cattle. They used to bleed the cattle and make mix, a uh, mixture of blood and porridge that's called stir about, And it was a basic food, OK parsnips were vitally important because before the potato parsnips are rich in sugars and, and carbohydrates but more importantly drills of them could be sown against hedges and things so when the invading armies came they didn't spot them so they might have got away all their chickens your sheep and your cattle but they didn't get everything which is vitally important okay so the parsnip was the vegetable of the irish person until the coming of the potato now the carrots These are beautiful, just pulled from the ground. Bright orange and green carrots. Originally, carrots were blue or black, but the Dutch growers to celebrate William of Orange's victory at the Battle of the Boyne. And his accession to the British throne bred an orange variety of carrot. So when we have, as I will tonight, have my carrots at my dinner, I'll be celebrating with William's victory over James <laughs> at the Battle of the Boyne.
0: Little did we know. Little did yeah. we know. But I love that idea of the history of Ireland yeah. more or less on a plate, like yeah. a, a bowl of porridge <laughs> on one side, and then you had potato, parsnip. And carrots, yeah. indeed, you gets you. <laughs> yeah. You almost get all the colour in there. Yeah. You get a bit of green in somewhere. It was. <laughs> so lovely meeting you me and chatting to you. <sighs> great insight into into Selbridge and Kildare. Driving and walking a place, you're always struck by the coexistence of things. The old mills and industries of Kildare have been replaced by the likes of Pfizer and Intel, who brought jobs and prosperity to parts of the county. How quickly you move from rural life into the edge of industrial life. Travelling on, you avoid the motorway and take the old R445 route that used to be the main road from Dublin to Nace and beyond. You hope that some other curious journeymakers divert from the M7 or 9, follow an exit sign for Johnstown or Nace or Modest Revan, because there's a lot to relish, a lot to take in. You don't expect to see alpine peaks in Kildare, but here's this lovely, striking poster for The Sound of Music, presented by Kill Musical and Dramatic Society. Um, Of course, it was once the main route uh, to Nace, from Dublin to Nace sense again of of these routes through in so many of these towns, even if the main routes have changed. In Newbridge, a shop sign on Main Street catches my eye, Farrell and Nephew. We step into the warmth of a fine bookshop and stationers, and a very strong sense of Kildare, place and pride. Hello, how are you
5: doing?
0: Good, good. I was very taken by the sign.
5: Farrell and nephew, correct? Yes,
0: Farrell and nephew. And is nephew a surname or was it indicative of the connection?
2: The the nephew.
0: The nephew. So like Farrell and son or Farrell and daughter? Exactly. Ah. My late uncle, established in 1957, my aunt and uncle, they didn't have a son or daughter, so I was the favourite nephew I remember saying it to my uncle one time in his 80th year Farrell and nephew has a nice ring to it because when I came down here as a young fella as a a student working in the shop you know the apprenticeship
4: everyone said you're Mr Farrell's nephew
0: (laughs) so now (laughs) and that's how it is it's great to see Farrell and nephew is a rare example of an old reality shop as unofficial community centre Dermot Finnegan knows everyone by name cares about it all We have kept the old values in the modern world There are music books in the shop too and there's music aplenty in and around Newbridge This is the territory of Christy Moore and the Moore clan Donal Lonnie, Liam Ogo Flynn and on a Wednesday night in Con Cummins' pub I meet local musicians including Emer and Isha Dempsey and Maura Heinen, a remarkable fiddle player who has been forging her unique style for over 60 years and who's inspiring a younger generation of players. Maura, could I ask you, was there music in your family growing up?
6: There was, but on both sides of the family, yeah. Mainly the fiddle and the whistle.
0: And what age were you when you started to play?
6: I started when I was ten.
0: Well, that's good and young.
6: (laughs) (laughs) That's a long time ago. (laughs) You couldn't miss it, yeah? Yeah.
0: (laughs) And did you love it from the word go? I
6: did, to be honest with you, yeah. I just took an interest in it. And I did some classical first, but my mother said she wanted to hear a real tune. <laughs> so she went round the whole town till she found a, a Scottish woman, actually. Mrs Grant taught me how to play trad music out of the Irish Fiddler.
0: Wonderful. And then did you, over the years, begin to write your own tunes? You oh, I you?
6: did. I, I wrote tunes all right, yes, I did. A lot of them won all Ireland. Mm. <laughs> Another one a Leinster. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I taught yeah. a girl who won an All-Ireland senior on the fiddle play in my reel that I composed that I didn't bother to learn myself. I, just, <laughs> I wrote it out for her, like. So that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you're still playing away and still playing with well, with great uh, style and gusto. It's great.
6: Well, thank you. Only for Emer and Isha and the uh, people here, I wouldn't be still playing.
0: Uh, but it's wonderful that they you are. They put on the sessions. Yeah. yeah? Yeah,
6: and that's what... I stopped for three years, but that's what brought me back to mm.
0: it. And you were... Was it the very first flower in Mullingar? Well, un,
6: under 14s, Yeah. I got that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You were a winner from the start. You're, you're, well, I you're, tried you're, my best. A gold medalist from the start. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Eime, really should would you have looked to Maura then when you were learning to play? I mean, I know there was music in your own families, but to have somebody like Maura close by must have been...
7: well. Yeah, I was. I um, would have started on classical, and uh, my teacher moved, and I the new teacher I was not fond of, and I wanted to give it all up, um, until I met a lady I played in an orchestra with, and she said, don't give it up, switch to trad, and go to Heine." Uh-huh. And that was it. And then I actually started to sound like I could play <laughs> the violin, <laughs> yeah, yeah. after years of playing classical and not really being able to play much, I was learning a tune every single yeah. week, and... Nothing was ever a problem, right. and it was just so easy going. Yeah. yeah, loved it.
0: So Maura would have been very formative for you.
7: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Total inspiration, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And Ishu, yeah. what about yourself?
8: Well, I'm the younger sister, so I got to learn from her mistakes. <laughs> and I just went straight to Maura. Yeah. So. Yeah. so it's a direct
0: I'm line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in a direct line of connection. <laughs> and what is it about her style, her playing you know, that speaks to you, that, that inspires you.
7: Like you were saying there about her gusto, I remember I think somebody described it as a nya that other people don't have. <laughs> ah, indeed, and yes. That other fiddle players don't have. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there was, there's just something about the way she plays. It's so um, just strong, do you know.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it really is a unique sound. I mean, I, I, when you started playing there earlier, that I haven't quite ever quite heard anything. Yeah. You might give us another.
7: Sure. yeah,
0: And this time I'll, I'll sit in the middle, because I love <laughs> sitting in the middle of music You're listening to the county measure. And we're in County Kildare.
9: My name is Louise Nealon. I'm a writer from North Kildare and I grew up near a place called Ovidstown Hill. If I could trace the inspiration I get for writing to a geographical place, I would end up on Ovidstown Hill. We call it Marion's Hill because our neighbour, Marion, lives near the top of it. It has and will always be, the most magical place in the world to me. Kildare is known for its flat plains, but here, the land swells up under the carpet of countryside, like it's pregnant with possibility. I've spent 30 years looking at it, and still, the view from Ovidstown Hill into the valley of Newtown is able to catch my heart off guard. Hills surround the village on all sides, and the church steeple peeks out over the trees, making it look like God's amphitheatre. Maybe this is why, as a child, I presumed that Newtown was the centre of the universe. Newtown is a glorified tea junction, decorated with a church, a school and a graveyard. To my four-year-old self, it contained the metropolis of Big School, It was in school that I first learned of the Battle of Ovidstown and the Irish rebels who hid from the English in the ditches of the hill. It was in school that I became obsessed with St. Bridget and sang songs to her while I fantasised about her spreading her cloak down Ovidstown Hill. There is something about the way the road swings down into the valley. It invites me into another realm. I often wonder if others can sense the same magic when passing through the village. Cattle chew their cud in the fields. The grounds of Kappa Gia rest on the horizon. And, if you look close enough, there is a small black dot at the bottom of the hill. A cow trough. Tucked in on the bend in the road, marking the place where I enter a world of my own. That cow trough is a portal of sorts. In my mind's eye, I see an old farmhouse with a caravan out the back. It is the kind of dwelling that wouldn't look out of place there, but it only exists in my imagination. My characters live there. The stories I tell don't happen in faraway lands. They live and breathe at the bottom of Ovidstone Hill. My neighbour, Marion tells a story associated with the hill. An old woman travelling the roads, called into a house for a glass of water. When she was refused, the woman put a spell on the hill to make sure that it would always have running water. To this day, there is a spring near the top of the hill and a crystal-clear trickle rushes down the side of the road, even on a summer's day. There's something in the water on Ovidstown Hill. I'm convinced of it. Maybe I have that old woman to thank.
10: And we've got a trolley full of free food here for you to help you get through your exams. Would you like to take a little bit? Um, yeah, you sure. Yeah, go for, it. Yeah, <laughs> go go for it. Thank you. I'll take
0: whatever you I'm need. Ready. You didn't expect to encounter that today.
10: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Kildare is the heart shape in the jigsaw map of Ireland. And it's at the heart of so much, too often under swamped into the bustle and pull of the capital city so close by. The youthful energy of the place and a marker of rapid societal change is evident on the campus of Maynooth University. Once the bastion of Irish Catholic third-level education, a training ground for priests and religious, the college is now a thriving secular place of learning for all denominations and none. And it has its own sparky energy. Here we meet Alex Balfe, Deputy President at Maynooth Students' Union. Hello, Alex Vincent, Vincent. Nice to you. lovely to meet you, you? to meet you. <laughs> and hear about an initiative to help students get through the stress of the exams season.
10: So basically every January and uh, for the May exams we run a campaign called De-Stress. So the idea of it is just to make the exam season go a little bit easier for students here. So with the trolley the aim of it is because a lot of students can't work their part-time jobs during exams because they're too busy studying. So we go around campus with a trolley full of free food for them, free vitamins, free everything in it pretty much. Energizers just to make sure that they're getting getting fed and keeping care of themselves. So yeah.
0: And do you get much response to it I mean is there much demand for what's in the in trolley in fairness
10: yes so even already you can see people literally lining up for it. Yeah. and then literally once you start walking through campus people are like trolley free food so they just swarm around for the food <laughs>
0: what's, what's in here we have a look
10: okay so what, yeah for this trolley, we have yeah. two sponsors. Mm-hmm. So our MSU Info Centre, we got some free Doritos. And then we have a Red Bull rep on campus, Jenna, and she kindly donated loads of Red Bull cans. But then we've got loads of fruit and then all the nutritious stuff is Great. in that see, one lots there. see,
0: bananas, oranges, little, yeah, oranges. And then Mandarins, we've got apples. Yeah, exactly. healthy stuff, good stuff. And yeah. then we've
10: got loads of fibre bars, nutra grain bars, um, fibre one bars, Alpen bars, and then just some crisps water?
0: Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Orange juice. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> so it's almost like a, a mobile food bank. Literally, <laughs> yeah. yes. And then
10: we've got and, free sanitary products and, as well for anybody who needs great, some. great. Exactly.
0: terrific. Okay, let's let's head out in search of students. Yeah, of Thanks, course. So, <laughs> Would
10: you like some free food? Oh, yes. yes. Make sure you're looking right. after yourself during the exams. So oh. take whatever you need Thank you so much. What are you studying? Biomedical science, the three yeah. of us. Great, yeah. terrific. Yeah, yeah. I get the
0: nutrients yeah. <laughs> in. Yeah. yeah. And Alex, you, you studied Theology and, and Irish here at yep. Maloos University. What was that like?
10: I really enjoyed it. It was a really interesting course, especially two really different things, but even some aspects of the course overlapped, which was quite surprising, especially when it comes to like old Irish literature and that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, kind of thinking about... St. Bridget and the new bank holiday and you know it strikes me that what you're doing here is a little bit like what Bridget does and it's all good.
10: Thank you very much yes it's a really great opportunity just to have that engagement with the students as well
0: Coming up on the County Measure Dan Donnelly's arm in Kilcullen inspiring community art in a thigh. And the timeless legacy of Saint Bridget in Water and Flame.
3: The summers come at last, and the birds they are singing in the tree. Their little hearts are glad.
0: Oh, the famous Cur of Kildare, Robert Burns, that, that song that the Johnsons first made famous, as it was in the 1960s.
3: love
0: where do you begin to unfold the story of the Curragh of Kildare, the Great Plain now almost synonymous with horse racing, a rich and unique slice of the natural world and a place with a remarkable military and social history? It was again, what we sometimes forget when we think of the Curragh is that it is this rare landscape with unique flora and fauna. A very ancient place Just even on a windswept day like this, you get such a sense of ancient history and indeed recent history. It's it's a remarkable and very special place and I'm intrigued to to visit Curragh Camp for the first time. In what used to be a thriving community at the Curragh camp, I meet son and father Finton and Reggie Darling, custodians of history, stories, artefacts and aspects of the many layers of life here. And I might finally get a military haircut at Reggie's barber shop, Darling's hairdressing rooms. 111 years in business. Hello. Hello. How are
11: you doing? Are you doing? So do so you want
4: to jump into the yeah. seat? And we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. yeah.
0: Reggie, come back to your grandfather starting here in 1900. I mean, there would have been a big British military camp here then, so it was obviously a good
11: spot for business. Well, I know that in in 1973, there were 4,500 people living in the Curragh. You know, now, if if you have a a thousand or whatever, I suppose.
0: And I suppose the place has witnessed so much change, Reggie, over, over the decades. I mean, just over a century ago, the handover of the camp to the Irish, and then of course all the internment,
11: yeah, the internment camps, realities
0: yeah. over the yeah. decades again—the anti-Treaty yeah. IRA—and something you witnessed yourself, which was sailors. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, here.
11: my my earliest memories are, are of seeing these guys marching up and down th- that road there, and they'd be singing "Tuisleán Oibrealeas" and whatever you know, Erica. And I think the German internees had it relatively easy. I think they 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 had a fair amount of freedom. Well, the British too, yeah, they all had. In fact, (coughs) uh, they were allowed to go to university. Quite a number of the German officers would have gone to maybe Trinity and UCD and that, and a lot of the NGOs would have gone to Bolton Street and done trade courses. Whereas the Ritz, they kind of, you know, lived a high life. One fellow brought his hunter over and his wife. They had a good old time compared to the poor old IRA who were incarcerated below in Tintown. And they were they weren't allowed out or anything they were locked up and i'm just looking over your head reggie at that fine illustration of
0: michael collins do we know if collins ever stood in the place he
11: did he was here on his way south yeah you know, a few days before he was killed he stopped off here
0: he might have been in, yeah. in this spot <laughs> yeah. you've done a good job i'm yeah, very, you're happy, very happy with that okay yeah and it's uh, a good I, job as radio <laughs> <I think. laughs> Yeah, so cap on again, warm woolly hat, and we'll we'll go across the road to what I think was, was it at some point you used to use it for the local history society? That's right, it was a local history
4: group, uh, yeah, it was an old Presbyterian church.
0: The old history society building has a lot to look at. Military and social history, artefacts collected by Reggie, marching band, memorabilia, flags, posters, an old bell, and a photo of Michael Collins. And of course, as it was one of, the, one of the most tragic stories in a way out of the Curragh and out of its history is from the Civil War and the execution of seven anti-treaty prisoners.
4: Yeah, there were seven anti-treaty uh, IRA, the Rathbride Column they were called, they were uh, found at the back of the racecourse underneath a trapdoor and they were brought up to the, to the Curragh prison, the glasshouse and lined up the back wall and shot so it was the single biggest executions of the civil war they were buried in the prison grounds just at the side underneath the footpath and later dug up and brought into kildare court courthouse because the church wouldn't allow them they in state because the church was anti-treaty it was just black and white as simple as that and they were later buried in grey abbey you know the youngest guy in that column was 18 a guy called stephen white one guy wouldn't get into the back at the, the, the lorry in, in at the race course and he was killed on, on site and later a story was fabricated that he was you know he was shot while trying to escape brutal times it really was um and i suppose Kildare was seen as a stronghold for 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 the state so they were sending a message out to these guys this was your fate
0: and you found even 20 years ago when you were looking at this history that there was still a reluctance to talk about it and and maybe that is turned a bit now
4: and people are more open I well it was i mean it's still it's still raw it's still quite raw but older people of a different generation would have been connected to it and they were reluctant to talk about it yeah whereas now you know enough time has passed and with the benefit of hindsight and and, and stuff like that you can step back and and tell the, the, the story you know
0: and of course so, when, when you begin to dig at all at a story like that more and more of the complexity emerges
4: exactly yeah the civil war was over in 11 months and that's the reason why it was over in 11 months because people were were executed and if you you were found acting against the state or carrying arms or you know anything like that that was the punishment
5: Donald Lunny here, a Kildare man from Newbridge. As a six-year-old, I went to school in the Corrie Camp, and sometimes I'd skip the bus back to Newbridge and trot home across the plains. At that time there wasn't a single fence apart from over at the race course. Just thousands of sheep, flocks of lapwings and plovers, and jockeys out exercising their beautiful horses. So this tune I called Horses on the Cora and the brilliant Tom Morrow is playing the fiddle.
0: As in so many Irish counties Kildare is a place of many languages and cultures. Among them a group of Irish Chinese their children learning mandarin in Newbridge.
9: My name is Lily. I am 8 years old. I live in County Kildare. I know how to say my name is Lily. What the mean just Lily?
8: My name's Mei um, Mason. The children, they born in Ireland, they know how to speak and they don't know how to writing. Maybe they need to learn how to write their own language. My
9: name's Ivy. I'm 13 years old. In, like, English and Irish, we both use, like, letters to spell out words and stuff, whereas in Chinese, you don't
8: have, like, letters. You just have to, like, learn, like, each character for, like, each different word. The children in Ireland, uh, they really like to um, go to the China to meet the grandparents because some grandparents, they can't come over to the island uh, because... Uh, Maybe they can't speak the language, that's a problem for them.
9: I went to China, I saw a lot of cars and buildings. They have a lot of food,
2: and a lot of sun, a lot
9: of heat, very warm. They sometimes say it's time to go to sleep.
0: You're listening to The County Measure, and we're in County Kildare. Monastrevan and Athy are linked by water and poetry. The River Barrow and the Grand Canal inform the shape and feel of both towns. Gerard Manley Hopkins loved this town, one of the props and struts of his existence. Then Patrick Kavanagh famously conjured Athai as a distant, exotic place. Today, Athai seems neglected, the remnants of elegance and industry faded, a feeling of transience in the place. And that seems to mirror something of a divide between the north and south of this county, a maybe accidental inequality. But there are many people working to change things. Near Athy's beautiful library, by the swollen waters of the Barrow on a stormy day, I meet Eilish Langton, coordinator of Creative Places Athy, and Laura Whelan of Kildare County Council. Because of course Athy is particular in that you have both the Barrow and the Grand Canal, and it, this huge history here, and you still see glimpses of it and feel it when you come in. But obviously, it's it's changing rapidly, Laura, and. And you've got to accommodate to that change and, and plan for it. I mean, how would you describe a now?
12: I suppose it's an evolving space. There's lots of young people in the town um, and lots of new communities and it's growing all the time and the surrounding areas are growing so I think we've lots of new people and we've a lot of people I think moving towards Athai from other parts of the county as well there's a real sense of community in Athai. I find Athai particularly interesting in comparison to the rest of the county even they really have held that sense of community whereas a lot of other towns have become commuter towns and lost that little bit Athai hasn't everybody knows everybody still it's a nice welcoming space I think for new people isn't it?
13: Yeah. Yeah it is
0: Elish, Creative Places here in Athai, I know that it's early days, but you are setting up, getting some projects off the ground. Can you give us some sense of of what those are likely to be?
13: This is a socially engaged art project, and and that might be a big, elaborate word, but it just means how does art and society interact to create change, and what is that change? So I'm based with Kildare County Council. We've kind of put out some micro-grants, Pathy Callan, who had applied, she's a lot, an artist who's from the community, started working with uh, the Women's Shed and started then collaborating further with uh, Birdwatch Ireland and then that went on to kind of learning how to draw, learning how to look around you, thinking about biodiversity, thinking about climate, action, change and then they would have went on to kind of do further stuff with Culture Night. so it, it kind of, it builds, it was building
0: building and what's here yeah. and what's innately here yeah, yeah exactly and is there much employment, direct employment in the town or do most people have to commute, have to, to go outside of the town for work
13: yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think so, um, it, it is very much commuting and there is a huge history of migration mm. from this town but then you see them returning so you know that's a, probably a key element to this town a lot of sadness migrating, and then the return is quite celebratory. And uh, you've got all these artists as well, like you know Jack L and Picture This, and John Hurt lived here. So there is yeah. quite so big mm. stories to tell. Big stories to tell in this town. So,
0: and Laura, you mentioned the, you know the new communities, and I guess you know th- that's a reality in in most parts of the country now, and it brings so much richness but it brings challenges as well.
12: Yeah, absolutely. And it is a challenge, definitely. And I think the initial engagement can be quite challenging to try and figure out what maybe those people, those new community people want or wh- where they feel they fit. But we find on the ground, like the local community are fantastic at integrating new people in. Like we have a fantastic women's shed and men's shed. They will welcome anyone and everyone and they try to actively get a good mix of people into their groups. And the same, young people are phenomenal, I think, when it comes to new people. Um, I know there was a group in a Thai college last year nominated for an award because they were so good with the new Ukrainian students who come in they were really really uh, influential in integrating those families and um, which is so impressive for a small little place but we really do have a good mix of cultures with some really really strong cultural groups
13: and um. the women's integration network yeah. who are really interested in integrating their cultures and heavily involved in our culture nights and our Patrick's Day festivals you know and and it's there uh, programmes, you know, that are really pull
0: them into Bridget's day now is well. Oh yes.
13: <laughs> well, yeah. well this is it like you know it's, it's,
3: it's also really
0: strikes good. me that there's plenty of wind power <laughs> to be harnessed. <laughs> I, mean, we could just please, yes, I think um, I think you have to harness really that. Make sure <laughs> yeah. Thank you both so much. It's it's yeah. it's lovely to be here. Yeah. And good luck with, with all of it.
10: Thank you very much. Thanks so many it's great Thanks to you. for visiting our humble town.
0: that Brian? Hello there, how are you doing? (laughs) We're standing at a door and it might be the wrong door. Okay. tell tell us where, where we should be and we can go to you. We often talk about the long reach of history. Well, in the case of celebrated 19th century boxer Dan Donnelly, that reach is literal. Brian, thank you so much for doing this. Donnelly defeated English champion George Cooper in a celebrated battle on the Curra in 1815, a kind of rumble in the jungle of its day. George Foreman
2: continues to stalk Ali, tries to get through with his
0: straight left jab. A supposed crowd of about 20,000 people converging on the spot now known as Donnelly's Hollow. Donnelly died tragically at the age of 31 and in many twists of fate, his mummified arm ended up not far from the site of his great victory on the Curragh in the care of the Byrne family in Kilcullen. We meet Brian Byrne in his family home. He invites us into the kitchen and places a long and sturdy box onto the table. Oh, unwrapping Dan Donnelly's arm. Oh, mm. my God. No. So this is the famous boxer Dan Donnelly's That's Dan arm. Donnelly's
2: arm, and... Um It was taken from the body after he died by some grave robbers and it was sold to a Surgeon Hall in Dublin uh, who wanted it for anatomical purposes. And uh, Donnelly had a lot of uh, followers, of course, so when they heard that his body had been robbed they found out where it went to and they went to Surgeon Hall's home and they demanded it back. But at that stage he had already cut the arm off, so he gave them back the body Possibly they never noticed that the arm wasn't with it, could have been wrapped up, and uh, he kept and preserved the arm. And that's why it's in the state that it is today.
0: It seems like a very long arm. It was appropriate enough for a champion boxer.
2: Yeah, he was supposed by tradition to have very long arms, and they were long in proportion according to images that we've scene of him, of you know, uh, paintings and drawings, they were long in proportion to the rest of his body, so there was a story that he could fasten his knee breeches without stooping, and knee breeches in those days went on below your knee with, with two little buttons on them to fasten them, so if he could do that without stooping, he was almost neanderthal, uh, you know yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> And it's actually quite beautiful it's, <laughs> a, it's a very beautiful object
2: What you're seeing there is the um, the preserved sinews and some of the muscular stuff along with it. So that's not just bone, there's bits of sinew and things like that there. It looks like boggle. If, if it was carved, the guy who did it was some artist.
0: We were on the corridor this morning and I was just trying to imagine the, the sight of thousands of people watching that boxing match in 1815. And I think Cooper was 10 to 1 favourite. And everyone expected Cooper to win.
2: That's right. That's right, because he was the English champion of the time. And uh, Donny went on to have quite a few other fights. Then he retired. And then he was presented with a pub by his fans in Dublin, because he was a Dubliner. And that was um, a nice thing to do, but it was also his eventual downfall, because he died of the drink, so... It was a hard game, though. You yeah. know, there they were bare-knuckle fighters. Uh, the rules were kind of minimal and uh, didn't allow much not to happen. So it was rough and tough. And the original fight went on, the Donnie Cooper fight, went on for, I think, 11 or 12 rounds. But a round only ended when you got knocked down. And uh, they tended not to let themselves get knocked down until they couldn't stand anymore. It was important, too, to remember that such fighting was, was illegal, so even though hundreds or maybe thousands came to see the fights and where you came across on the Courage Day and you saw Donnelly's Hollow, that was a well-known spot for these kind of uh, illegal, pugilistic endeavours.
0: There was a bit of betting going on too.
2: Oh, that was, that was the, the guts of the whole thing. These guys were trained by rich people simply as gladiators and it wasn't an easy life.
0: Remarkable, Brian. Really remarkable.
14: Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve...
0: Perhaps there's a link to the boxing relic of Dan Donnelly's arm, but whatever, Kilcullen has a long history of amateur and semi-professional boxing. The local club is a big part of the sporting focus in the town and surrounding areas. David O'Byrne works with young boxers at Kilcullen Boxing Club. We meet him on a training night.
14: So who have I got here? I have... Come over here, Jamie. So Jamie's our youngest promising boxer. Jamie is 11, he's a by one, and he is going into his first championship season this year. Daniel is 13, Dan is 25, he's our more senior boxer, and Shane is our a very promising under-18 boxer.
0: That's Brilliant. it. And how long have you been training here, Dave? I've been coaching here since
14: 2003. I took over from Tommy Lawler who hurt his back good long time yes <laughs> yeah. I lost my hair <laughs> over <laughs> I suppose over the
0: years you'll have seen a lot of kids coming in for the first time and yeah, and, and that must be a particular moment
14: and parents probably contacted me before they come in I, I remember Jamie's older brother Josh and his mother was like oh boxing oh that's Mike Tyson stuff. that's barbaric that's this that's that and the father brought him down and they realised what they came into they came into this kind of an environment the community spirit of a boxing club, the discipline, the training, the
0: fitness. I just wonder, you know, is it daunting to get into a ring?
7: No,
6: not really. It's more
5: enjoyment and fun. I came into boxing, it would have been about 2018. I mean, when you ask Tim what the best part of boxing is, I think uh, that's the obvious answer. When you actually win your fights <laughs> yeah. and win a few medals and you get your hand raised, it's just class feeling. So that's what keeps you, keeps you at it.
0: And what's it like to
5: lose? It's the complete opposite, obviously. Like, um, obviously, you learn a lot, though. That's what you wanna you wanna take from a loss. You wanna learn a lot from yourself, and just say, next time, you know, work on their mistakes. And yeah,
0: so to come back from it to learn, exactly, and yeah. come back, take a lesson yeah. from it, you know,
9: yeah, come back better, work
5: harder, and just yeah. picking I mean. yourself up, isn't it? Yeah, you
0: have from uh, anything. Uh, yeah,
14: you, you have a little bit of a sulk in the dressing room after a fight, and and that's it. And you get a bit of a talk into from your dad and you know i uh, listen but coach. and your coach on your coach yeah and then if you talk too much you get a you know you get told off pick it up and let's go yeah
3: Dan, what, what
11: would you
0: reckon boxing has given to you over the years
11: ah oh, it's gave me everything to be honest with you. like i've got trips out about me uh, the amount of people from different backgrounds I've met kept me on the straight and narrow and i reckon i'd be gone down a bad path now if i, if I didn't get boxing now so Kinda of, kinda of gave me a good pattern in life.
0: And of course you then stood into a fairly famous role as
11: as Dan Donnelly a
0: few years back.
11: Well was in the club there and we got a phone call off RTE to uh, just reenact the whole the whole fight and I was uh, I got put as Dan Donnelly. So you got to win you knew win, you yeah. knew you were yeah, gonna win. Yeah, I got dropped but I also got to win so it was grand.
0: More than one person spoke to me about the ghosts of Kildare. In a way, the whole county feels spirited by what's seen and unseen. Silken Thomas, Lord Edward Fitzgerald, the rebels of 1798, the Vikings who left their DNA and place names and prayers. And Bridget, the pagan goddess and our Irish Christian saint who has made her unique mark on the modern calendar, with her February day now marked as an official holiday. Close to Kildare Town, at one of the holy wells associated with Bridget, I meet Tracy O'Connor, interfaith minister and one of the people who helped make Saint Bridget's Day a special national holiday. Tracy O'Connor, it so lovely to meet you. And, lovely to uh, meet you too, Vincent.
8: Thanks uh, for tell coming. us where we are. We're at Bridget's Well, Bridget's Garden Well in Kildare. I would come well shod, as it's quite mucky underfoot, but there's a beautiful stream that's running through sort of a long rectangular field with grass and stones, and the well is at the end of the field, and it's just a lovely, peaceful space to be out in nature. You can hear the birds singing overhead. It just feels like "Ah, we can breathe here, and we can just, just be in nature. And there's a
0: very striking rag bush here as well.
8: There's quite a few, actually, yes, behind and me. Yeah. This would be a hawthorn tree. And people would come and tie their ribbons or whatever it is that they have to their person that they can attach to the tree and just say a prayer or hold an intention. I suppose and in a way more
0: the, accurate to say a prayer tree or bush rather yeah, than a rag tree or bush. Uh, because yeah. of course what's placed there... Lot more than rags. I mean, they're, they're symbols, they're offerings, they're hopes, yeah, aren't they?
8: Totally, yeah. totally.
0: You've become an interfaith minister, Tracy. I and have. I wonder how you now regard Bridget as mm. a bridge for faith communities in the country and beyond, and what she represents in terms of, again, of modernity and, and modern society.
8: Bridget, for me, Well, she crosses the divide, first of all, between the pagan goddess, Bridget, and the Christian saint. And so many people are, I suppose, very attached to one particular version of Bridget. (laughs) And there are so many different versions of Bridget, you can't possibly bottle her. She, She speaks to so many different people. And I think that's the real message, is to allow all expressions of her nature... To, to be expressed, to be honoured, to be accepted, and to honour all faiths and none. And as an interfaith minister, that's what I do, honour all faiths and none. Whatever speaks to your heart the most, whatever makes your soul sing, whatever the God of your understanding is, definitely. I suppose that. it's always
0: very hard to, to unpick the truth from myth and the person from what becomes mythologised. But there's something very striking about the image of the of Bridget spreading the cloak and the and the and the everything but also then was really about equality and I presume exactly. that's too at the heart of what how you'd
3: regard Bridget.
8: Yeah, exactly. She was made a bishop in her day and that monastery was to be run by both Conlith and Bridget, who's to say one is better than the other. And there are so many myths and legends that speak to us, I think, for Meaning, for today and what do we get from her spreading her cloak you know and many different colours I'm sure of this cloak and the cloak of protection and speaking of you know how she transcended across those divides I don't know if you're aware but I only just discovered recently that her skull was actually taken by three knights from Kildare 750 years ago and taken to Portugal to a place called Lumiar Lumiar meaning light and Apparently, farmers, until recently, I'm not sure if it still happens, brought their cattle and (laughs) walked them around that church three times for protection. So the stories that would have existed here traveled with her to Portugal and to far-flung places. She's not just Irish. Her cloak has spread far and wide, across the world even. That's beautiful. It's Mm. it's wonderful to know that um, that symbolism and that light of hope has reached all corners of the world. And now with us celebrating the, the bank holiday, <laughs> it's wonderful that her memory, her symbolism is being brought more to light.
0: Kildare is a multitude of worlds. The Bog of Allen, fast motorways and industry, the waters of the Liffey, the Barrow, the Grand Canal... Big houses and sprawling housing estates that curl with its wealth of nature, horses, and history, a spiral of music that has lit world stages, and a warmth of welcome that is quiet, understated, and utterly memorable. Take the time, sometime, to stop, look, listen.